only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We got one more guest, one more segment here on this Wednesday edition of Bang the Book Radio. That is with Wes Reynolds, at Wes Reynolds, and the number one on Twitter. Regular contributor to VEASAN and the Point Spread Weekly Newsletter. Wes, how's it going today, man? Adam, good afternoon. How are you, sir? Doing very well, buddy. Appreciate your time, as always, here, man. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, let's go ahead and start by recapping the Super Bowl. We talked about that a little bit on Tuesday's show with Brian Blessing. Talked about how he did on an individual level, but also talked about how the city of Las Vegas did as a whole, which was very, very good, and how other states around the country didn't do as good. So, Lots of stuff to kind of dive into here. But first, how'd the Super Bowl wind up for Wes Reynolds? It wound up in the plus. I mean, not enough to buy a, a vacation home in, the, in some island somewhere, but still came out ahead. Uh, had the under for the game. That was the only side or total thing that I really did. I did I actually did not bet the side this year. And uh, glad I didn't because I did I did lean to the 49ers and they I did predict them to win the game and they ended up not doing so. So, uh at least avoided a loser there. Props, by and large, came out ahead. It was really a couple of the index props that I usually play that 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 didn't get there. I usually play that. Uh, will there be a rough in the passer called and uh, and and props like that and uh, that didn't happen. But a lot of the player props got there. Uh, they my the reads on Jimmy G were correct. Uh, they did let him throw the ball more and actually probably ended up letting him throw the ball too much in in, ret- in retrospect because uh, after the 49ers uh, took that 20 to 10 lead, they only ran the ball like three more times. So so that was a, that was a little bit questionable. I mean, you didn't ex- want him to go exclusively run heavy, but they needed to probably be a little bit more balanced at that at that point. But you know I, I thought it was a good competitive game. Uh, I thought the broadcast was from just a fan and a viewer perspective. I thought the broadcast was good. I wasn't offended by the halftime show. Like apparently some people were. So I thought by and large, it was a very good Super Bowl. And look, it had a pretty low bar to clear from uh, last year's edition. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it it felt a little bit slow at the outset. There was kind of a feeling out process and, and also, too, I mean, I texted a few people this. I'm like, Mahomes looks real jittery. I mean, he mm-hmm. just looked mm-hmm. off in the first quarter of that game. And, you know, that was kind of Kansas City's thing. I mean, they started relatively slow, certainly started slow in the two playoff games that they had prior. But, you know, Mahomes settled down, found a way, winds up being the MVP, as we all know. Uh, you know, I hit Mahomes' first touchdown, so that was nice for me. I did miss a few things along the way. Probably broke even overall on the props, except for the first touchdown. Also took check to score the first San Francisco touchdown. 
just on a whim Sunday morning. I was like, you know what? I've been talking about how I think this guy is going to be a big part of the game plan and happy to hit that one too. But, you know, a lot of things changing hands at the end of that game. The Mahomes rushing yards going under. Second half goes over with Williams scoring that garbage time touchdown. And look, he needed to go and score that because the Rams had or the 49ers had a couple timeouts left. They could have extended that game a little bit. So he had to go and score that touchdown. But, uh, you know, always a little bit of drama in the Super Bowl. And we got some of that in the second half. Yeah. And 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 I always use And I mentioned this last week that uh, I like to play those no score in the first 630 props uh, because I do believe that there are some jitters, and I believe in the rust over rest, I guess, question when it comes to these teams having pretty much two weeks off. And uh, sure enough, no score in the 630. And very rarely, because this total was so high, uh, you got plus money on that prop, plus $1.20 even, or $1.25. So you had a feeling, and, and, and what's becoming a good prop by and large, too, is second half to be higher scoring than the first half i mean that's just uh that's just the way this thing is playing out it seems like with the rust that inevitably happens if you play that the one thing you got to avoid is one of those kick the kickoff return touchdown and uh once you do that you're going to be sitting okay yeah i was happy about that i had over five and a half kick returns there wound up being seven in the game uh, i know i i heard mitch and paulie on on follow the money talking about how uh the first kickoff, not a touchback, is a very good bet here so far over the last several Super Bowls. So maybe that's one to keep in mind for next year. But something that's been really interesting to me is how Vegas did so well on the game. The sportsbook operators overall did a bang-up job with the props, with the lines that they set, and then also made a lot of money on the game, particularly with that game staying under the total, avoided any of those San Francisco plus money money lines with Kansas City winning the game. But the other states didn't do so well with their hold percentage and their hold figures. I thought that was really interesting, in particular because, as we talked about leading up to the Super Bowl, the first time around with 20 or so states having legal wagering, and Vegas did well, and a lot of other places didn't. Yeah, and and I thought, I think that's very interesting. And I was uh, talking with uh, Patrick Everson over at at Covers.com, who covers the industry really as, as well as anybody. and then reading his stuff and David Purdom's stuff at ESPN. And uh, it's amazing. Uh, New Jersey uh, has lost money yet yet again on this. And I think New Jersey, in terms of the stuff that they're offering, the fact that they're offering even in some regards markets a more sophisticated menu of betting options than even Nevada, but yet they're losing money again. And I think uh, there, there's a couple different reasons, and there's probably – more as we kind of examine this more over the next uh, few weeks and months. Uh, obviously, market maturity, uh, you know, the Nevada books have had an established share of the market here for such a long time. So they're more they're more used to this and have had more of a sample size and more time to kind of learn how to essentially do this. This is still very early and very much in its infancy for New Jersey. And one of the things that happens, and if you listen to our VSIN programming or follow along on social media or all over the place, is that all these New Jersey books, the DraftKings, the FanDuel's, the Points Bets, uh, all of these people, they offer these promos because they want to get your business. And it is and it is very much competitive for your business. It not to say that it's not out here, 
but these books are offering these promos, you know, get a hundred dollars free deposit or however much it is. If uh, Patrick Mahomes completes a touchdown pass. So they're basically giving you a free play and a free roll. So when you do that, enough people uh, get involved with that. Some of them are, are going to hit you on, on, on some, on some scores. So I think that's a small part of it though. I don't think it's necessarily the, uh, the chief part of it, but I do think the promotions and the free bets and, and, and all of that stuff uh, is, is really included in that. I was just actually, as we're speaking here, reading some of the stuff really on, on New Jersey and, uh, and, and kind of why that is because uh, they do give you those odds boosts and, and like I was saying, the promotional wagers, the free bets, I do think that definitely plays into consideration. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, they're obviously in that mold of spending money to make money right now because they just want to enhance their reach. And I mean, we kind of see that with a place like uh, I believe it was what points bet that said, you know, well, we're going to refund everybody that had the Mahomes rushing yards over. And it's like, I mean, that's a substantial swing because a lot yeah. of people probably did like that prop bet. Yeah, it goes against the bottom line. But at the same time, as we all know here in this business, the vast, vast, vast majority of people that bet on sports are long-term losers. And mm-hmm. you know, that that's what a lot of these books are going to try and capitalize on. So especially with something as big of a singular event as the Super Bowl, where this is going to get a lot of run, a lot of pub, it's almost like paying for marketing. You know, it's almost like paying for PR. Right. They figure, you know what, we'll just get it back during March Madness or something else. And you mentioned that Mahomes prop, which was kind of the, I guess, the signature bad beat of the Super Bowl, really. I mean, when you have a thousand different props and alternative spreads, alternative win totals, teasers, what have you, the full menu, you're going to have a few bad beats. But that was a pretty notable one because that was a very popular play from from wise guys, at least early on, that Mahomes rushing over. And then you get piggybackers. Kind of seeing, yeah, that does sound like a good play. And then all of a sudden, 29 and a half becomes like 36 and a half or 37 yards. And, and it's moved a lot. And I mean, even at like your, your smaller books, like uh, I'll take Rampart out in Summerlin, for example. That's a sister book of the uh, South Point here in Las Vegas. And was talking with Dwayne Colucci, who's one of the managers over there. Even at, even at someplace like Rampart, that was like almost about a six-figure decision swing on that prop when that comes in. So that was very good for the bookmakers. Yeah. And, and I'm kind of curious. I mean, obviously the entire state of Nevada gets lumped together, but I'm very curious about how things went up in Reno too, with, you know, a right. lot of that San Francisco money right. that played a big role too, at least as far as, you know, the, the state hold percentage went, because you know, obviously, as we know here, really anything you could have done with San Francisco didn't come through. If you had teased the side in total, that didn't come through. Obviously we had San Francisco money line that didn't make it. Any of the MVP stuff on any of the 49ers didn't come through. So that was probably a big one, too. You know, you try to find somebody other than Mahomes that can win this thing. Maybe Damian Williams had a case in the minds of some people. But, you know, of course, it goes to Mahomes. It goes to the chalky pick. The favorite wins the Super Bowl. So I guess we'll kind of see here how everything plays out in the future. But again, you know, I mean, we're probably going to add what another 10 to 12 states, I would say, uh, you know, in 2020 here. So. You know, next year's Super Bowl will have even more eye-popping numbers from around the different states. And yeah, I'll be very interested to see if they do trade that bottom line for some of that marketing and PR again. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I want to see how some of the other states, I mean, some of the similar companies are going to be in these states, of course, the, the William Hills and the Caesarses and DraftKings, FanDuel, the big kind of uh, conglomerate consolidated operations. But, you know, we expect that Illinois is probably going to get the ball rolling. And obviously that's a big market with Chicago. My home state of Indiana is certainly happy to take uh, Illinois people's money for the, for the time being. And look, uh, Indiana, well, middle-sized state has been a very big market for, for sports betting. So what I'm always interested in is as this expands, when you get your more regional biases to think that only money that's bet in Nevada, even though it's the king daddy of sports betting, is not, it, it's not going to matter as much in terms of uh, how it's going to shape markets because as you get more states involved, you're going to get more local and regional biases in the market. Yeah, and again, I mean, that's the thing. You know, this year you had Kansas City, which you know, there's not a ton that was close to Missouri as far as legalized wagering goes, and San Francisco where it was Reno, it was going to Nevada, or, you know, that was pretty much it. So what happens if you get the Colts in the Super Bowl or you know, the Bears in the Super Bowl? I mean, that one's going to be substantial with Illinois coming online. You know, Indiana's been very, very lucrative because of the proximity to Chicago, proximity to Cincinnati, Columbus isn't that far away. Louisville's not that far away. What if you get a Bengals or a Browns in the Super Bowl at some point? What if you get Pittsburgh or Philadelphia, where Pennsylvania is already very entrenched, and obviously West Virginia is Steelers country, so if you get Pittsburgh back in the Super Bowl at some point, I think that's going to be really intriguing once we finally get one of those, and it could very well be next year's Super Bowl in one of these gambling hotbeds. You know, probably won't be the Jets or the Giants right now, but an Eagles team, you know, with Pennsylvania and New Jersey there just across the border. It's going to happen here at some point. It's going to be really fascinating to see the difference in price between Vegas and Illinois or, you know, Illinois and Pennsylvania or, you know, one of these other states that's got it. It's going to be really, really cool to see what happens and also to see the advantage players. I mean, how much do they travel around from state to state? spend their own money to go make money making some of these bigger bets that'll be kind of fun to see too yeah and and i mean like you're like you're really huge betters that i mean you know have very high limits and i mean everything everything is changing in terms of uh with the consolidation i mean look consolidation is reaching here in nevada as william hill is expanding and uh at some point, it's going to take over CG technology. I don't know when that date is going to happen, but it's 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 expanding. So in that regard, it it limits your options a little bit because uh, then then there's less lines in the market, then there's less ability to shop around as this consolidation happens. So that's why you may see, especially the bigger batters, look at other states and other jurisdictions if they haven't been kicked out of certain ones already. All right, so we'll see what happens with the Super Bowl as we go forward. Obviously, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the 2021 Super Bowl. But, Wes, while I got you here, I wanted to talk some Big Ten college basketball with you. And as I look over at BartTorvik.com, which, again, I think is is the best resource out there for college basketball, simply because everyone's already using Ken Palm. Torvik has a lot of stuff over there for you to digest as well. But 12 of the 14 teams in the Big Ten in the top 50, according to Bart Torvik, the only two that aren't Northwestern and Nebraska, and that's about the only road place people can get the only road places 
these teams can consistently win at. But 12 of the 14 in the top 50, Indiana last at 46, Michigan State first at nine. Just a phenomenal conference top to bottom. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I mean, looking just looking at the uh, various forms of uh, bracketology, I know it's not just Joe Lenardi anymore. Like every media outlet pretty has pretty much has their own bracketologist. 11 teams right now in the, this week's bracketology in the Big Ten would be in the tournament. And what it looks like, seeing, of course, Michigan State's loss last night, there's no real standout great team in the Big Ten. I mean, Michigan State always has the highest ceiling because of the talent, but 8-3 and three leads the league right now. Not that that's a bad record, but, I mean, there's no 11-1 and one teams like you see in some other conferences and whatnot this is a very this is a very balanced conference and really the only two teams that have pretty much no chance or no chance really to make the ncaa tournament like you mentioned are nebraska and northwestern everybody else is, has above a, an overall 500 record and when you're seeing some of these teams like michigan look they almost got to the number one ranking earlier this year and now they're sitting 13 and 9 and 4 and 7 in the league so what do you do with that on a daily basis, on a weekly basis with these teams where, as you said, there's kind of this everybody's beating everybody kind of sentiment here in the Big Ten. You do have some teams that are more talented than others, but at the same time, you know, we know that the home and road has kind of been a little bit of an equalizer. You've got some teams that are elite defensively and pretty good offensively. You've got some teams that are very good at both, some teams that are just balanced with both. It's a tough conference to bet day in and day out. Yeah, I think so. And and I think you've got to kind of do a little bit of, uh, <clears throat> I guess, zigzag betting, if you will, and, and, bet, and bet against teams in certain spots because no one really gets on a roll. Look, I would have thought Michigan State, that was a really good spot for them last night, even with the big lay and a big number, because you had Penn State that had won a couple in a row. Now they're going to Michigan State. We know Tom Izzo off a loss historically very good they not only don't cover they lose outright <clears throat> excuse me in the in in the breslin center last night so uh you're looking at some of these teams and people are like oh this is absurd the big Ten's not that that good of a league because you're seeing teams like purdue that are 12 and 10 and 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 under 500 in the conference that would that would get in the ncaa tournament today but you look at some of purdue's wins a lot of the other teams that might be bubble teams, they've beaten in the non-conference. They've beaten VCU. They beat Virginia. They beat Wisconsin. They've beaten Michigan State. Uh, uh, they've beaten uh, uh, Minnesota. I mean, these are all teams that are rated in, in pretty much in the top 50. So, I mean, they have good wins. And then when your losses really aren't that bad, when you don't have a loss to somebody in that 200 or 300 range, like, some, I mean, some of these teams that are fighting for bubble spots have those ridiculous losses. Yeah, and it's funny, too. I mean, you look at a team like Iowa, and Iowa plays Purdue tonight. Purdue, four-point favorite in that one pretty much market-wide. There's a stray four-and-a-half with extra juice. Total 136-and-a-half in that one. But Iowa's a team that, I mean, look, they're 16-6. and six. They've played very well, yet they've tripped up against Nebraska. They lost by six on the road. One of the few teams to lose to Nebraska on the road this year. DePaul, they had that 15-point loss early on in the year. But other than that, 
know, losing to San Diego State by 10 on a neutral is not bad. Scoring 91 points against Michigan was pretty good at the time. Maybe giving up 103 looks pretty bad now. They had the loss to Penn State. Penn State's very good. We saw that last night. The loss at Maryland. You know, Maryland's a pretty good team, too. That's the thing about this league is that you you don't have the sexiest records, but a lot of these losses, as you just mentioned, very justifiable. So the problem is you just don't know when one of those pretty good losses is going to pop up and really hurt a team. Maybe it's with, you know, a Purdue team tonight laying a short number at home. Maybe it's with a Minnesota team tonight laying a short number at home. You just don't know. And I just think, you know, by and large, there's not a ton of value in betting the major conferences in college basketball anyway. But, man, this is one I try to stay the hell away from. Yeah, this is that old conflict with me tonight because I think the number in the Iowa-Purdue game, and I'll start with that first, looks high. But I think the situation is the right situation for Purdue. I think, uh, you know, that's where you're kind of determining is it going to cancel each other out where I don't really like the number, but I really like the spot. And that's kind of where I am with this Purdue game tonight because this is a team that's sitting 12 and 10. We know that they've slowed the tempo this year. They're one of the 10 to 12 slowest tempo teams in the country. They don't have the guys like Carson Edwards, a guard like that that can manufacture offense uh, with either step back threes or driving to the rim, driving kick to other three-point shooters. They don't have that kind of team, so they've got to slow it down a little bit and be a little bit more uh, defensive-oriented. So I like Purdue in the spot, but I don't know if I really want to lay four. And then the second game tonight, another spot I like, because Minnesota would be kind of that team on the outside looking in, that would not be in the NCAA tournament today. They're they're 11 and 10. I mean, they're certainly not down there with uh, Nebraska and Northwestern, who I think it's it's clear are the bottom two teams in the league this year. And uh, look, Minnesota has been very, very erratic. They've gotten some quality wins where they've proven they can beat good competition, uh, beat Ohio State, beat Michigan, actually swept Ohio State. So, and then they've had some close losses to uh to good teams, I guess their only kind of egregious loss is really at Utah, who's who's not awful. Probably not going to make the tournament. Have kind of come back to earth, but that you know that's still a tough game on the road across the country. But uh, this is a good spot for Minnesota tonight. Eleven and ten, uh, they get Wisconsin, who I felt had a, had a really home run spot, and the market bet against them, of course, because they were short handed. Uh, against Michigan State with Toby King quitting the team uh, midweek. But Wisconsin kind of got in that, that short-term spot. Number one, it's always a tough home court advantage at Kohl Center. But they got into that spot where it's like, oh, yeah, you quit on us. We don't need you, and we'll show you that we can win without you. And, look, Michigan State made a late run and made it dicey, but Wisconsin pretty much led that game wire to wire and end up getting there outright. I think it's like maybe they close it like a six-point dog. But now they got to take and go take and go on the road, and this is that second game with, without without Kobe King, who, who did give a team that doesn't score a lot of points a fair amount of offense. So I think Minnesota is probably the right spot in that second game. Yeah, I like that one too. And, and again, I mean, that's the thing. You know, as you've kind of got this league where everybody's beating everybody – some of those wins are more emotional. A lot of these games are close. So you're putting a lot into each and every one of these. And sometimes it's just really hard to get back up and play a game. And 
you know, for Wisconsin here in that spot tonight. Maybe that is one of those situations. Wes, as we look ahead to Saturday here, I want to touch on this Michigan State-Michigan one real quick. Michigan State, they'll want to get that loss back that they suffered last night. Michigan, of course, losing to Ohio State. They don't want to lose to both rivals in the span of a week. That's a really interesting one with the noon tip-off here uh, on Saturday in Ann Arbor. What, what kind of your thoughts as we sort of shape the narrative for that game? Yeah, I mean, without knowing the number a couple of days in advance, I'd certainly lean to Michigan State in the spot. I mean, Michigan's going for the uh, anti-sweep here and going for the split. But look, what we're seeing with this Michigan team, even though they have two senior starters, you've got a new coach in Jawan Howard that, I think, wants to do his own thing, and justifiably so. He's the head coach. He should be able to run, really, the system he wants. He's got John Beeline players, and those players were successful in a John Beeline system. I mean, he's got a lot of guys that are jump shooters, and, and that's what and that's what Beeline likes to have. Maybe not the most physical or banging down low types. I mean... There's certainly no tractor trailer type on this uh, on this Michigan uh, uh, squad. So, uh, look, I, I do think Jawan Howard maybe wants to get a little bit more athletic and get guys that are a little bit more physical. He doesn't have that kind of roster with this bunch. So they got hot because they hit a bunch of shots in the Bahamas and knocked off Gonzaga and or Carolina and Gonzaga back to back days. And that Carolina was a lot better win at the time, certainly. But knock them off and then all of a sudden it's like wow this team's really good but it's like if if they don't get enough stops and then they're not making jumpers they're they're a highly beatable team and then they've had livers in and out of the lineup which has certainly hurt them but uh michigan right now it almost seems absurd like maybe that they wouldn't make the tournament and they would be in today because i think they have so many good non-conference wins but they, they've fallen on hard times, and, and they could certainly end up falling out of the NCAA tournament. Uh, four and seven in the league. They'd be, if they played the Big 12 or Big Ten tournament in Indianapolis or Chicago today, Michigan would be the 12th seed in the Big Ten tournament and have to play those two games on the first day that usually the bottom feeders have to play. So I think Michigan State, this is their spot, but. Something seems off with them, too, if you watch them. I mean, they just they just don't seem right. One other game on Saturday I want to pick your brain about, since you are an Indiana Hoosier, that Purdue and Indiana matchup here. This is a uh, 2 o'clock Eastern time tip-off. Looks like this game about a coin flip, according to Bart Torvik's look-ahead lines, has Indiana minus .8, so not even minus a full point here in this one. Pretty much the definition of a coin flip in this spot. How about, what do you think? Yeah, uh, Indiana, where they've really struggled. Now, Archie Miller saying they're making tweaks to the offense. Now, who knows what that means? Because uh, th- this is year three of Archie Miller. They didn't make the tournament the first two years, and I understand they had to do a little bit of rebuilding and retooling. But if you can't make the tournament this year in kind of a topsy-turvy college basketball, there starts to be some signs for concern, at least. Uh you know, you certainly want to give a guy four years to get all of his own players on the roster. But this is a team now that they, they will have had uh, essentially a week off. So obviously the preparation time, because Purdue still has to play Iowa that we mentioned uh, uh, later tonight. So the spot would indicate Indiana because they've had a week for Purdue coming at home. 
and Indiana has been really good at home and really should have won every game at home. They kind of gave that way that gave away to Maryland a couple Sundays ago. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a very good home team. Uh, they've knocked off Michigan state. They've, uh, uh, also uh, knocked off uh, Ohio State at home. Uh, the, the schedule gets a little bit more friendly at home for Indiana, where they get a lot of uh, their tougher opponents in the conference. They had some easy ones early on with Nebraska and Northwestern. But uh, I do have to like Indiana in the spot. They've lost three straight. Then again, they lost nine straight last year at one point. But they've lost three straight games. So, I got to think that you're going to get Indiana's max effort with essentially a week, a week in between games, but I have no idea what the line is going to be. I would guess probably somewhere around three or so, two and a half, three, three and a half, kind of in that range. And I would still like Indiana in the spot. One more thing I want to pick your brain about here on this segment, Wes, we'll head out West to the Pebble beach pro-am as we talked about on yesterday's show, I mean, this is another unique event. You've got the amateurs out there. You've got five, six-hour rounds. You've got three different courses in play here. Is this a tournament that you like to handicap, or do you find this one pretty difficult? A little bit of both. I mean, I think it, it can be an, an enjoyable event, and uh, the fact that, uh, you know, you, you have the celebrities, which for some people it's kind of uh, – mundane but that's what that's what the networks want i mean there's a reason why they put the players that have the celebrity pairings essentially out at pebble beach on saturday because they want them as part of the television coverage because what they do for sunday 60 professionals and then 25 pro-am teams make the cut for uh for a sunday so you want to show as many of these celebs that are part of this and that's part of the tradition of the event but it is a little bit of a challenging handicap. One reason, too, is because I do think you have a clear favorite, Dustin Johnson, that it's very tough to bet at, who's very tough to bet at 7-1. to one. Now, this is somebody maybe if, if, if he went up in the live wagering, he wouldn't go up substantially. But if he went up to like 10-1, to one, if to like, let's say he shot 72 the first round and maybe you could get slightly into double digits, that might be the time to pounce because he's coming back from Saudi Arabia. So he may get the jet lag. So that's an opportunity maybe to get involved with Johnson if you didn't pre-flop. But also, this event, I don't think it's lost the luster. Maybe it's just the, the, how the schedule has come out this year. But you've only got two of the top ten players in the official world golf rankings in this event this week with uh, DJ and Cantlay. So with that in mind, who are you looking at here this week? Yeah, I, I, I tend to look at guys that have had success here before. Uh, this is an event that has a fair amount of repeat winners. Uh, guys that usually play well here and go well here continue to play and go well. Uh, so one guy I had was Brent Snedeker, who's a two-time winner here, was third in Torrey Pines. And I do think that if you're looking for course correlations, uh, guys that play well at Torrey Pines play well here at Pebble Beach by and large. Uh, Phil Mickelson, of course, has won multiple times at both. Uh, I don't necessarily like him this week, and I think he's probably overpriced. But uh, Snedeker is a guy that fits. Uh, I took a shot with a young guy that hadn't won yet on the tour that's a rookie, and Victor Hovland, that does have a win uh, on this course. He won the 2018 U.S. Amateur here. And then also 
was the low am in the u.s open tied for 12 so victor hovland uh took even another shot with the guy uh jordan spieth who struck the ball well last week in phoenix but missed the cut i don't think there's much of a correlation between i don't think you got to worry about guys that missed the cut in phoenix and how they're going to play in pebble beach uh different kind of courses different environments uh uh, Spieth is a former winner here, and this is a place, these three tracks, where they're relatively shorter tracks. You don't really get in much trouble off the tee, so if you're wayward off the tee, you can recover because the fact is they have this rough low because they don't want these pro-ams to totally be swallowed by the course, these amateurs, so uh, that's why the rough is really low, so... Uh, yeah, and they don't want eight-hour rounds. They, you know, five and six-hour rounds are, are long enough. And then uh, to kind of round out the card real quick before we go, uh, Cameron Champ, uh, another guy that played very well at Torrey Pines, think can go well here. Holt, Max Homa is really a form guy. Six, uh, six last week in Scottsdale, ninth at Pebble Beach. He's a cow bear, so he's familiar with this course. And then uh, Kevin Na. Good West Coast player that that thrives on kind of these shorter type courses, and then uh, my bomb of the week was Jimmy Walker, who has not been in form, but is a former winner here. And uh, sometimes when a guy gets to a familiar course where they've had good feelings before, that's something that can turn them around. Yeah, Jimmy Walker's the guy I mentioned yesterday. I think it's what five top fifteens in yeah. his career here. So he he's been very very good. And, and Max Homo makes sense, too, playing well of late and also the fact that it seems like his personality, if you follow him on Twitter, he's a hilarious follow. His personality seems to kind of fit this type of event, and, and that's a big part of it, too, because, again, you've got to deal with playing with the amateurs. You've got to deal with these long rounds, the slow pace of play. you got to be kind of laid back, maybe a little happy-go-lucky, sort of go with the flow. And obviously, with some of the guys not playing in this event and with some of the personalities that we know about in golf, uh, it just isn't really the type of event for them. So got to keep that in mind with this handicap as well. Wes Reynolds, you can hear his work on VEASAN. Also see him in the Point Spread Weekly Newsletter and at Wes Reynolds and the number one on Twitter. Wes, when are you going to be on VEASAN this week, man? Your guess is as good as mine because we're changing <laughs> some of the schedules. Uh, one of the things we are going to add for iHeartRadio listeners, an audio-only platform, uh, we're going to be starting some XFL betcast as the XFL gets started this weekend. So I'm going to be a part of that on uh, some of the uh, weekend programming instead of doing my normal green zone spots. But usually uh, green zone Monday, uh, 6 to 10 uh, Pacific uh, long shots. Our golf show with myself and Brady Cannon came back last night. That's going to be this year. Last year it was on Wednesdays. This year it's going to be on Tuesdays. 5 to 6 Pacific, so uh, gives people more lead time if they want to make selections or get DraftKings lineups in and whatnot, fantasy lineups. So uh, glad that we've moved it a little bit earlier in the week. And uh, all over the place, man, I, I go where they need me. I'm the, I'm the utility infielder here. Well, it sounds like to me, and I was kind of worried about this, talking about it on yesterday's show, then I went and wrote 2,000 words on the XFL yesterday afternoon. It sounds like... You'll be my go-to guy for the XFL here on Bang the Book Radio because I'm trying to dive into it. I will admit it's kind of a slog with a lot of unknown players, guys that don't have a lot of pro experience, guys that have been playing in the CFL, stuff like that. Sounds like we may be talking some XFL on our segments. Yeah, we may have to. The thing about it is week one, obviously, 
exercise a little bit of caution because of the rule changes. So research some of these rule changes. And uh, if you're going to do betting, I think this first week, I guess my advice would be maybe to veer more towards sides because we have no idea what's going to happen with the totals. Yeah, well, I guess we'll talk some XFL here on our future segments with Wes Reynolds at Wes Reynolds on the number one on Twitter. Once again, you can find him on VEASAN and in that point spread weekly newsletter. Wes, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, Adam, you bet. Good to be with you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.